Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Ivan Gazidis receives his full bonus, and as an exclusive, we've been given a tape of the very meeting where he made the presentation that got him that bonus. Let's take a listen. Management. Financial portfolios. Insurance. Computers. Black leather gloves. Research and development. Putting in the man hours to study the science of what you need. Last week, we put liquid paper on a bee, and it died. Security. Security. And. And. Investors. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We will dive into the details of that Ivan Gazidis bonus payment, the finances, the injuries, the upcoming fixtures, and everything that you have been dying to hear us opine about, but I do want to first read it out live. We are getting the draw now for the World Cup of League. Uh, the United States dropping into the World Cup of League. Um, we will be playing uh, nations like Wales and um, Chile, so uh, we will also finish last in that. Uh, in any event, uh, my condolences to fellow Americans or fellow listeners from parts of the world where you will not be participating in the World Cup, but that means you have more time to focus on Arsenal, and when have they ever let you down? So here to join me is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Evening. Uh, no, it's not, but thank you. Uh, you can find Paul on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! Yep, that's right. And Clive is on Twitter at Clive P. AFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. The P is for positively excited to be here. And we um we are going to do a little bit on the news that has come out during the uh, seven and a half month international break we've been on. And then we'll look forward to the fixtures coming up. <clears throat> uh, we are going to talk finances. And uh, while I did play uh, some audio of the meeting at which Gazidis was awarded his bonus payment, um, I think we can dive into that as well. But first, let's get to the defense, uh, something Arson maybe should have done over the last decade. And uh, Mustafi is injured. He could be out for quite a while, and given our injury history, quite a while could stretch into forever. So, Tim, I guess the first question is, short-term, while Mustafi is out, how do you think the manager will line up for Premier League games? Well, the news that's kind of come out today, not through an official channel, but from someone who's very close to the club, is that it's expected to be three weeks for Mustafi. And when have we ever given a three-week diagnosis uh, for an injury to an Arsenal player that has ever stretched beyond that? So, I mean, three weeks is literally how we <laughs> announce an injury that is season-ending. <laughs> so, um, yeah, fingers crossed he, he could be back for, for Man City. Um, Are we, would we but, cross our fingers for that? I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, well, it, it does lead to an interesting question, right? I mean, exactly. is it's, this good? Is, is this like, bad? Where does it leave us? <laughs> that, that's the thing. Is Mustafi is almost um, like worth more to us than the sum of his parts um, because of possibly the situation with, with the backup. And, and not just the backup, the situation mostly with Lauren Koscielny um, and it's gone a little bit quiet on that and, and how you know we, we know that we've been managing his Achilles problem for a little while but obviously he didn't play for France and there's a bit of radio silence on whether we can expect him back and more to the point if he does come back is that because he is fit to come back or because um, Arsene Wenger's kind of making a decision to throw him in because we don't have Mustafi there anymore 
I mean, on paper, it looks a relatively straightforward decision to put Per Mertesacker in there to me. Uh, per is that straightforward? I mean, he has not played Mertesacker well, in a Premier League game in the better part of two seasons. Do you think he would choose him over Rob Holding? Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, so it's it's kind of, like I say, on, on paper, like Per Mertesacker plays that central role that Mustafi plays. I think he tends to play it quite well as well. Um, and you know he's he's a he's a reliable performer. Um, the games he's come into this season, he's he's not looked out of place or off the pace. Now, obviously, the fact that we're using him so sparingly suggests that the manager doubts um, his ability to play regular football anymore. And the, and I think Per Mertesacker said that himself at the end of last season. He said something. Well, I think those rumours started to circulate that he was going to retire. Um, before the the appointment was made with the academy, he said something like, you know, I can't play every week anymore. So obviously there's a situation there. But when he has played in the Carabao Cup and the Europa League, he's he's looked perfectly fine um, to me. So for me, what you do for the next few weeks is you kind of swap his role over and you play him in the Premier League games once a week and you leave him out of the Carabao Cup and the Europa League. That would be personally the way I would manage it. Mm-hmm. But again, this this question's a little bit loaded because you know we, we don't really know what the physical state of the player is. And also Watford on Saturday, Watford are a different team under Silva. They don't lump balls to Troy Deeney anymore. They've completely marginalised him from the team. And now they've got um, Hishalisan up front. They've got pace, uh, basically, and they've got movement up there, which is why, you know, one of the reasons they're doing so much better. And they're scoring quite a lot of late goals as well because they can stretch defences. So, um, you know, maybe a year ago, this would have been a more ideal kind of game for Mertesacker than it is now. Marking someone like Troy Deeney probably um, is more suited to his skill set than, than someone like Hishalison. But then again, you know, Hishalison looks to get into the channels and that wouldn't really be Pear's area. That would be for, for Nacho Monreal and, and Lauren Koscielny. So, I mean, personally, I'd just, I'd just bite the bullet and play Pear and then leave him and, you know, leave him on the massage table for the, the Europa League and the Carabao Cup. Um, also, we we don't know what the situation really is with the fitness of Callum Chambers either. Um, but I I tend to suspect what will probably happen is he'll play Rob Holding, and um, he'll try and patch up Lauren Koscielny and put him into that central role. Yeah, yeah. See, I think he will do that, and that terrifies me. So, Paul, I guess the question is. I think all of us have a great deal of respect for Murtisacker, and we think if he has it left in the tank to play in the Premier League, we would trust him to be the central most defender of the three. Um, but if that isn't the case, and if the manager feels he has to go with Holding, how nervous are you about Holding coming into this team, which has just started to sort of kind of right the ship defensively? I mean, we have had, we were on quite a little run there with without conceding. Do you think that this is sort of the absolute worst possible time for him to be brought back in? Um, well, no, we could definitely come up with scenarios that are worse. But, oh, oh, but this okay. is pretty good. How about this? this is pretty How good. worried are you about him coming back? And if the manager decides that for whatever reason, Murtisacker doesn't, doesn't have what he needs to have to be a starter in the Premier League anymore, and I, you know, I don't know what that calculation is, but he's certainly played holding in the Premier League and he hasn't played Murtisacker there. So I don't think we're getting into the realm of science fiction to suggest it. I mean, how, how nervous are you about holding? 
Um, well, I'm not bulletproof on it, but uh, I guess the positives would be if it's Mertesacker, then Mertesacker will tell Holding what to do. He'll communicate well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, won't be our fastest back line if we have the three of those guys. So there could be some pressure over Holding's win wing. Um, but at least from the coordination of the back line, I think that should be pretty good. If Gashelny's back. Um, I think for as long as he's on the pitch, he's got covering speed, assuming he'll play in the three, in the middle of the three, then uh, I think he'll, you know, holding and him know each other pretty well at this stage. Um, So that could work out okay. So I'm not sure whether to be super worried. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, It's kind of the format here. Uh, So I I think, look, there is this presumption that the guy who stands in the middle of the back three is the captain of the defense, and I get that. But to some extent, he is also the most protected. Um, you know, the channels are where you, we tend to get hurt. Um, you know, those are the areas that, that players like to run into. The central center back, sort of like David Luiz at Chelsea, seems to be more tasked with receiving the ball off the other defenders, carrying it forward a little more, uh, giving it to the midfield, giving it to Shaka, that sort of thing, or breaking the lines. Holding can step up and he can pass. And, you know, he's not totally immobile. He's reasonably well-built physically. But I worry that actually in those wider center back positions, those are the ones that that expose you to the greater risk. And perhaps that's why Mustafi was played centrally and Koscielny was trusted to be on, on the side of him. I mean, is there an argument that if we have to bring Holding in that you put Nacho on one side of him and Koscielny on the other and say, look, just, you know, occupy a safe space just in front of the penalty area, give the ball to Shaka and and do your best work. I mean, as opposed to potentially taking up what might arguably be a, a riskier position on either side? Absolutely not. I think the uh, central center back is the guy, he's the reference point, whether he's loud or quiet, whether he waves his arms or not. Uh, he's the guy's the other the other guys key off and I don't think you do that to holding anyway and uh, not yet I mean he's got more responsibility uh, I agree to organize the defense but he doesn't necessarily yeah. face the same threat in sort of one-on-one situations and in, in terms of actual active defending well he, he's certainly harder to target uh, whereas if he's the right center back or your your left center back you know they can they can use speed down the sides uh, and get at them, um, but isn't that just a question? You know, if it's if we're thinking it's Kishelny, that's a lot of covering speed to get behind. If they're targeting in behind roll, uh, holding or they're running at him, um, Kishelny's there behind him, and he's you know the job is for um, for Bellerin and Kishelny to make sure he's covered with some pace and speed if he's under pressure, and we attack down Kalasinac and Monreal's wing. We just got to get the bounce right. I mean, it's re- one of the things we haven't always done is adjusted ourselves to the situation and the opposition and the wing that's getting targeted. But all we got to do is give holding some additional cover than we normally do and use the other wing to be more attacking and more progressive. If it's the if they're if it's holdings wing, they're coming down. I wouldn't do anything radical. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do a, a big tweak now, I'll do a little tweak. I'll just have uh, Bellerin and, and Koscielny keep an extra eye on him. Or if it's Mertesacker, you play it a little different way. But Mertesacker is a, a shrewd cookie and can cover 
holding, but the pace will have to come from Bellerin getting back. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think for me, I'd prefer to see Mertesacker there in the center of the defense. I just, the fact that holding has played Premier League games and Mertesacker hasn't leads me to wonder if that will continue to be the case. Um, so and can I make a really one. quick um, uh, point on Mertesacker? I do wonder if... It has to if, be a really good one. Yeah. Okay. It is. It's okay. great. Um, I, I've already thought it through, and I see how it ends, and it's actually it's really good. It's already carried on too long. Come on, just oh, okay. bring the point. What's um, the point? Um, I do wonder if, just like us, for a couple of years... Uh, the manager was somewhat tortured by uh, Per's lack of pace and the fact that we as a club play a high line mm-hmm. and he's not ideally to suited, suited to that. But you can't drop your captain or your most important uh, kind of player in the defense. And now that he's got him out, he's re- it's not that he doesn't rate his abilities. He's just re- reluctant to put him back in um, because you get those issues. But I really think if... He want, that he wanted to do this earlier than he got the chance to do it, and now that he's out, he has moved on. Yeah. I mean, the the fact is, he's in the team, and we did sell Gabrielle, and Chambers doesn't seem to be in line to play at all, so he's got to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if, otherwise, why not have him retired this It is summer? weird. It, it, it is, is weird. It is weird. Um, uh, Clive, a couple things. First of all, I mean, yep. not to relitigate this issue specifically but do you have any regret over the fact that we did let gabrielle go as we find ourselves in this situation now and is there any part of you that would have preferred given that mustafi apparently wants away doesn't like london wanted to go to inter there's been some rumors that he's not great in the dressing room all of these things is there any argument in your mind that maybe it would have been better to move on mustafi and keep gabrielle yeah, you, you know my thoughts. I, I, I like Gabriel. And I, when I look at squads, I always look at having different profiles of players. And I don't think there's that much difference in what Mustafi, Holding and Chambers offer. I think they're similar sort of players. They're all quite decent on the ball. Not all, none of them are extremely dominant. And the, the two English boys have got development time. They're still very young for centre-back. So... You know, I'm not going to rush to judgment on them, although I have in the past. Uh, I think the holding, most similar, aren't they, Clive? Holding they are. They all want to play in that right channel, really. That's where they've been brought up. Um, Mustafi's developing a new a new way in the centre, and that's working for us uh, in the short term. But, I, I, you know, if Mustafi's out, holding or Chambers can do that job, would you feel confident with them? any of them in the back four any longer given our, our recent history with particularly in the right channel when Bellerin goes for, goes for a walk and they're left exposed so we've got these sort of non-dominant centre-backs and there was one centre-back that we had um, I know people think he's rash but he has, he's got a dominant persona he's physical he's quick and his time at right back improved him on the ball and we sold him for peanuts right and I just think He's a different profile. He's more aggressive. He's not such a ball player. It's always good to have one of those types in your defenders for those days. And and Watford is one of those days. And as Tim alluded to, Watford have sped up their team. They're they're the biggest team in the league. They're one of the most physical teams in the league. And so we're talking, it's going to be a real battle. And don't forget, they came to our place last year and they overran us in the first half so they're, they're going to have no inferiority complex this is a game that really concerns me so yeah Gabriel I'm I'm disappointed but life goes on 
Um, Chambers, I'm pleased what's happened. Mustafi, that looks like a time bomb for me. Um, but on on it does looks like a time bomb. I mean, come on, let's let's just think Bo- about both it. Both right? in Tim. terms of his actual defending and in terms of his situation at the club. Everything around him, right? So just think about that injury. We all saw the injury. Did that look like a three-weeker to you? Three-week is a grade one, right? So that's a grade one tear. That looked like a near-death experience, right? It's very dramatic, right? Very dramatic. So he looks like a time bomb waiting to happen there. Let's see what let's see what happens with that proposes. Um, I, I would have preferred to see um, Gabriel stay, but that's the, that's the club's choice. But I'm going on to the game on the weekend. I've been listening to you guys talk and I I sort of walked in the room thinking, you know what, I want to have three adults out there. Mertzaka should play. When you look at the games we have against Red Star and then Everton away, Mertzaka's not going to play all three of those games. So he'll probably consolidate. He'll play holding, the younger man. I think that allows us to compress the space slightly in midfield against an athletic, fast team, which I think that's what we're going to need to do. So, um... That's how I see the weekend going. And um, yeah, it's a shame about Gabriel, but life moves on. Yeah, I guess then the, the question becomes, and, and we've discussed this before, but the manager seems to want to play a back three now, and he wants to play a back three in every game, and that's the system that the first team plays, and it's going to play that way in every competition. Yep, In agree, this then. situation now, and, and well, I've agreed, but are we at the point now where when we do come to these midweek games, Red Star coming up, uh, Norwich in the Carabao Cup, does he almost have to revert to a back four because he cannot risk using first-team defenders back there in those games? And we just do not have the personnel to continue with a back three now um, uh, in in Europa League and Carabao Cup. I think um, I, I like the back three because of the positional sense. But, but can we do it in, in the games, the rotational games? Can we do it in the... I mean, do we have the personnel? We've already seen how hard it is for us to put a squad out there with a back three in the Europa League when before Mustafi's injury. I mean, does this really force yeah. his hand to play a back four in the Europa League and, and Carabao? It, it could do. Well, we could also see Elneny playing the back three. You know, we, we saw that preseason. That could happen. I mean, I, I I do like what he's trying to do there. I do like how it's made us more positionally adept and we have more pitch coverage. Okay, we saw at the start of the season, if you get it wrong, you know, Anfield with the wrong people on the wrong side of the pitch, he doesn't look great. But I don't think we're playing high quality, um, high quality midweek. So let's see what he does, right? So, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not against it. If we go back four. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't bother me either but I, I see him sticking with this uh, we've had a couple of opportunities to move away from it and he hasn't taken it everyone has a view he doesn't really like this formation and he's only just playing with it and he'll go back to what he's always known I'm not sure I agree with that doesn't seem to be the case <laughs> yeah I've, I've always said it. he said it from start of season he wants to move towards this and um, I, I'm not sure I agree I mean obviously every week is different um, if Koscielny breaks down and let's see what happens right so um, I'll tell you this much yeah. if I have to watch Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Reese Nelson play uh, uh, wing back that, that many more times this season I'm going to take a melon ball to my eyeballs yeah, yeah, yeah it's a shame um, it is a big shame but we're getting results and so until we have a bit of an implode, which is only one game away, by the and way, that, let's that's see how we point. go. I, I think that is the one thing that does bother me. We are getting results, but anyone can look at those those midweek games we've played and see that that system isn't working. You'd hate to think that 
we're willing to stick with bad process until it's bad result. You know, I mean, Ella, do you think that we we forget all the times? When we had the back four and people were diving in behind our full backs of there, course. We, there above. We haven't We've defended well in 20 years. I'm not trying to suggest that um, the, the back four is a panacea. I'm just saying that the personnel, you, when you build a squad, when you build a squad the right way, you fill the squad with the players you need to play the system you anticipate playing. Now, you have some tactical flexibility, but ideally you are built with wingbacks if you're going to play a back three and, you know, with, with the kind, you know, with, with two midfielders who can play in a midfield two together and things like that. I, we're just not built as a back three squad. We're built as a back four squad. And since we've made the switch, I think you can see some of the deficiencies. But, Tim, one thing that, that is interesting, we've mentioned Chambers and uh, news has just broken. Breaking news. Callum Chambers has signed a new contract. Now, this is an interesting situation. I think he did pretty well in his loan deal last season. He has hardly featured for Arsenal at all, and on the rare occasion that he has, he hasn't looked great. The manager seemed not just willing but desiring to offload him this summer, and now he has a new deal. Um Two two quick questions on this. One, what do you think of the fact that he's been given a new deal? And two, whatever you think of it, do you think that this is another example of muddled thinking or, or lack of clarity of thinking with respect to the squad? Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about um, process and result. This, this, for me, is a good result via a bad process. The, I, I think this makes sense on so many levels. What I can't mm-hmm. understand is why it wasn't done in May or June. It just seemed to be, all right, so, you know, maybe he, you know, Arson was mulling over which of his centre-backs was going to get the chop between Gabriel, Chambers and Mustafi. And I think he, I think kind of um, the sword of Damocles hovered over all three of them. And, and I don't think on the final day of the season the plan was to sell Gabriel. I just think that it was the easiest sale to do and they wanted to clear some wage bill. Um, Tim, it was very interesting because Arson said something very quickly in a press conference when being pressed about Oxlade Chamberlain that he had to sell somebody. Now, I yeah. think there was brackets around that that said because we were trying to buy Sanchez or, you know, where they were doing yeah. other maneuvers. But clearly, in his mind, they had to sell somebody. And, yeah. they all, and they'd already sold a couple. So they had to sell. Somebody had to go out of the centre backs and somebody else had to go. Yeah. And I think Gabriel was just the easiest one to do. You know, he had two years left on his contract. Unsure whether he'd sign another one. Didn't entirely settle in England. And the option to go back to Spain was and back to Valencia, you know, near where he used to live. I, I think that was a very attractive one. And it was just a quick and easy deal to do. Um, but this this makes sense on so many levels. So it's a two year extension. So they haven't given him, you know, four or five years. So he's he's got four years to run on his deal, but it's a two year extension. So to me, there's there's kind of a few layers to this. First of all, they're parking an issue because they've got so 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 much important work to do next summer. Because um, you know, not to bleed on about the past, but they've made such a balls up. That we're going to we're going to come the, to all of that work that has to be done. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a massive iceberg coming where we've somehow got to replace almost the entire spine of the team in one go. And guess what? We've got no money coming in to do it. So we cannot afford to waste time next summer. Um, with all due respect to Callum Chambers, we cannot afford to waste time 
um, pissing about with whether our fourth choice centre back um, needs replacing. Give him his two years because uh, uh, effectively what you're saying to him now is right. To be honest, we're too busy to deal with you at the moment, but you're 22, you're English, your value's not going to go down, even if you sit in the reserves for two years. We'll still, uh, the way like uh, transfer fees are going, we'll still probably get 20 million for you, quite frankly, even if you sit... Hell, if he sits in the reserves, it may help protect his his value. (laughs) Well, yeah, indeed, indeed. Don't don't like... like, Drop him into um, our next eight two at Old Trafford or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, it's like right, okay. To be frank, this isn't like a massive expression of faith. It's just we're a bit too busy um, to deal with this next summer. So we're going to give you two years. We'll deal with it the summer after. Um, so effectively, you're on trial for two years, um, which I think is perfectly fine because I think it's too early to give up on Callum Chambers. And I was always, I didn't agree with the idea of selling him. But at the same time, he hasn't done enough to earn, you know, that big bumper five-year deal and massive pay rise. He's probably not got much of a salary bump here. So it's just basically parking a bit of an issue. And then underneath that, there's a few things that are going to happen in that in that time. Per Mertesacker is going to retire. Lauren Koscielny's role is either going to disappear or reduce because of age and his Achilles issue. So we've got the next two years, basically, to work out whether Rob Holding and Callum Chambers whether they're, you know, the heir apparent to Mertesacker and Koscielny, maybe we don't know what's going to happen with Mustafi next summer because that doesn't look like an emphatic, yes, sir, you're staying for the rest of your contract. That, again, looks like an issue that might rear its head. So so Callum Chambers is just an easy decision to make. It's like we, we've got too much on our plate to mess around with this. He's 22. He'll be 24 in two years with two years left on his deal. We can make a decision then um, whether he's progressed or not. Um, and he might be first choice by then. He might have replaced Lauren Koscielny. He might be um, a decent backup and he might have replaced, you know, Gabriel effectively. We don't know yet. He might be a complete disaster. He might not kick on. He might need a move. But it's, there's nothing urgent there. He's 22. He's got plenty of time to learn. And we've got bigger fish to fry. Um, and like I say, this isn't going to wreck the wage bill, um, keeping him on for another two years. Um, so, you know, it, it, it makes sense. It, it, make, it just makes so much sense that I don't understand why it, it didn't make sense in June. Um, and why it's only, I don't know, maybe they've been negotiating with him that whole time. It seems unlikely to me. But If it's taken them um, that long to get a contract extension for Callum Chambers, may God yeah. have mercy on our soul this upcoming summer. Yeah, yeah. I, I <laughs> I don't think it has. So it does. So you're right. The, the the process of arriving at this decision does seem a little bit worrying. And you know, we we've heard some rumours about um, you know Dick Law's replacement coming in, and whether that's Mark Overmars or not. You know, you never know. Maybe there's something going on there. Maybe there's a machination going on where um, whether it's Mark Overmars or someone else is kind of already looking at things and going right look, don't waste time with him. Just get that sorted now. Park that issue. Um, I don't know. That's, you know, that's complete plucked out of the air speculation. But it, it's just such a sensible, logical decision, which um, perhaps is a little bit unnerving at Arsenal at the moment. It's, it, but I agree. And it's, it's sensible a little bit concerning. absent any real evaluation of the quality of the player. It's just the right thing yeah. to do with... It's, a squad it's, member who you you can get a deal done quickly, get that off your plate, and move on to the bigger issues. Yeah, it's 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 a no risk um, thing that we've done. Whereas 
um, not doing it carries big risk. Did they mention so, the wage I mean, by any chance? Do we know what that is? N- no. Because that would be my I, only you know, concern. You know, if they bumped him yeah. to 350,000 pound, uh, pounds a week, you know, then, then we're having <laughs> I, a different I, I doubt it. I bet it's a tiny salary bump. It will be a bit like um, when Ramsey signed his deal in about 2012. He signed on the same wage, but Arsenal said if in 12 months your performance has improved, we'll bump your salary. And that's what they did. And, and this is probably what they've said to Chambers now. They've probably said, well, look, in two years, we've got a decision to make. We either renew you or sell you. And either way, you'll you'll probably, you know, be well looked after. So, yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's one down. Now just the other 82 players we've got to figure out about. Um, so, Paul, I mean, January's fast approaching and transfers are, are what get the clicks. So we're going to talk about them. Um, I think there's obviously still the open question of whether, if we can we should try to sell Alexis or Ozil in January. What makes this tricky is, <clears throat> you know, Mane is is injured, so he's going to be out for a while for Liverpool. They are scuffling a little bit, and without him, they really don't look the same. They're about to play Manchester United. It's They, they could be in trouble, and that means one more team for us to jump to legitimately be in the top four conversation. And I think at this point, Chelsea don't look fantastic. You'd have to at least put us in that conversation is Arsenal kind of between a rock and a hard place for January? I mean, if you are managing this club, are you at the point where the only thing you look to do is strengthen in January and the entire goal now is top four because it looks possible? Or are you still trying to get a return on Ozil or Alexis if you can? Uh, I don't think any of that's... Ne- I think you're trying to get a, 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 a result out of Ozil or Alexis... And I think as January comes, uh, a bit like I don't think Chambers and Holding will both prove to be the full deal in a year or two. We'll find one kicked on and one didn't. Probably by the time January comes around, we'll have come to the conclusion that, say, Sanchez is a real asset and has got his head straight and Ozil not so much or vice versa. So uh, time will help a lot on this. I suspect at the end of the day, the most important thing, you won't know in January either way in terms of how our season's going to turn out. I mean, a lot can happen in three months. So I don't think we'll ever be, we'll either be so high up the table or so low, low down the table. Um, Let's just say yeah. the, the, the picture paints uh, us as a, a candidate for a top four finish such that weakening the squad in January wouldn't be advisable if you want to finish in the top four. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll sell either of them to weaken the squad. He'll only sell one of them if they're really not particularly helping and they're probably hurting. So, you know, if uh, Sanchez pulls the big sulk after Chile gets kicked out, he decides he's nothing to live with and wants to move on with his life um, now that he has no World Cup and he's not helping in the squad, he could go in January. But I don't think he'll go because... We're not that arsed about whether we can add something to the rest of our season. Same with Ozil. I think nothing will be decided by January, so I think the manager will want all weapons, all options that are helpful. Yeah. Uh, but he might want to lose one that's not being helpful at that time. So if one Makes of them sense. kicks up a fuss. So I, I think that's the driver. I, I think it'll, it'll be, uh, we'll be trying to put the pedal to the metal in January, no matter what the scenario. We want to keep every, what I think we got to do in January 
is we can't let that window go go by without adding, say, a Chaka or a Kalasinac. You know, one of those signings from out of Germany, guys that aren't on our radar but strengthen our overall squad. Whatever position isn't important, we've got a spine. Well, midfielder, needs, certainly. <laughs> sure. I mean, you, but you can pick certainly midfield or defense. And you, for the point that Tim and you have been making, we can't let a, any windows go by without a signing or two, even if it's not the star signing, even if it's not a top well, signing. Well, right, because anything we don't get done in January is more we're leaving for the summer, and you can only get so many players in in one window anyway. So I, I definitely and, see And it's amazing there. what one signing, you know, uh, I kind of said a, a little while ago, um, if, you re- if you re-up a couple of people's contracts, uh, and get some things sorted out, maybe a Ramsey, uh, uh, Chambers, and one or two others. Uh, you make a signing in January, uh, and you have a, you know, a Kalasinac done by March or April for the following season. There, you know, you got four players sorted out, if they're the right players. Suddenly, the work doesn't seem nearly as daunting so it's a really important period we don't have to wait till summer we could get three or four players sorted out internally and externally one in january and one before the window opens like we did with podolsky like we did mm-hmm. with a uh, like we did with chaka maybe, maybe not a podolsky though maybe yeah maybe not a podolsky. maybe not someone just like podolsky although i i love him on social media um he, he was good in that first game against liverpool he's got a great left foot uh clive yes. The the big issue, I think, for me, the thing that I can't understand is how poorly we have performed in the transfer market over the past five, six, seven years in targeting bright young talent. You know, not, not the 16, 17-year-olds who are a million pounds or 500,000 pounds. The, you know, like what Liverpool did with Suarez, bringing him in from the Eredivisie, right? Or... You know, uh, that kind of a mold. Someone who who could be, develop into one of the best players in the world. Uh, a really bright young talent. Maybe the problem has been that we've reached a point where even those guys, those 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old guys who are in that echelon are now 30, 40, 50 million pounds. I mean, we saw what Anthony Martial cost. But would you say that our biggest failure has been the failure over the past few seasons to take a fairly large flyer, I mean, 10, 15, 20 million on a young player. And is that what we really need to do this upcoming summer? Because if the accounts are true and we have 90 or 100 or 110 million pounds to spend or whatever, buying one star isn't going to fix what's broken with us, especially after this year when we lose Alexis and Ozone, so on and so forth. Is the plan now and has the big failing been buying talented young players who can potentially become the, the I hate to use the expression, but the world-class players that we'll need? It's a tough one, right? Because the football world has changed, right? So your um, your American player, the Christian Pulisic, whatever his name Pulisic, is, 18? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 18, 18. We can't right, buy him Dortmund. either. <laughs> yeah. How, how much would he cost? 45, right, 50? How much would he at cost? At a minimum? Yeah. Uh, should, should we just say 80? I mean, right, he's only he, a couple of he's only yeah. a couple of YouTube videos away from being a world star, right? So, and that's and that's the difference that the market's completely changed. So, what we used to do, you know, getting these seventeen, eighteen year olds and and beating everyone to the punch and really focusing on talent identification, 
everyone's doing it and everyone's doing it younger and everyone's investing more money they're making sure they pay their mums and dads a lot more money they're doing immoral agent deals which we won't do they're having immoral relationships which we won't have in case those deals get investigated further down the road because our sort of built on values right and those values are some of the reasons why we support them but we're also those values trap us and they slow us and they make us hesitant and um us being hesitant means we've been picked off by our by our competitors. I mean, Martial, for example, Vengo knew all about him, liked him, and Monaco said, "Well, he's not for sale." Two minutes later, Manchester United come in with a big checkbook, and um, suddenly he's in their team. And he goes, I'm, "I was surprised. I didn't know he was for, he was for sale." And we sit here thinking we've got Alexis moaning and shopping in our in our dressing room, and we're thinking we could do with a left-sided forward who's a who can score a few goals, who's a bit powerful, who's good on the dribble, and he's playing for Manchester United, and he's on the bench for five of their six games, whichever they've had. So it's a it's a it's an issue. I, I'm not I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure if the answer is waiting at Madrid's back door and waiting at Barcelona's back door for their star that doesn't get into their team and make him our star. They expect him to be committed to our team. I'm not sure if that's the answer. I just think we need to be we need to be smarter how we buy, but smarter how we sell our club to those players. There is a finite group of world-class players in the world and teams are hoarding people. They're hoarding players. And so the situation that we have with our squad may be a bit top-heavy. Other teams do as well. But we've got to be able to sell them a project. And that's where we're failing. We're not selling them a project. We're selling them an, an aged club with aged people that needs freshening up. So when that project changes then I think we become incredibly attractive to a number of different players. We probably need that we probably do need a signing that says, Come and play with me. At the moment our two superstars look disgruntled. So maybe the player that's turning out to be the most important player for our future potentially could be Lacazette. He's 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 mid twenties, he's French, there's so that's much French point, talent yeah. out there. He should be the one. He should be the poster child of the club now and say, come and play with me. Come and play with me. This is where we're going. I think it's a very important transfer, but it's also very important how we promote him, how we sell him, how we use him to create a network with other players. Players are now by helping to buy other players. It's like the NBA. You know, you go and play with LeBron James. You go and play with certain players. Players are recruiting players. I think we need to do that a lot more and not look at aged coaches and expect them to be of the same generation, be able to pull the players that we want to get into our club. And I think I think we've just got to move with the times. And that, that's this is where it's going. This is where it's going. And I think um, what we used to do no longer works, because everyone's doing it, and they've got big, deeper pockets and they're more immoral. And where we need to go now is build around those, you heard me say on Twitter, build around those new pillars that we're buying. And we've got a few, the German League and the French League, now they need to help us recruit the next layer. So uh, that's why I think we should. That's how I see us going going forward. Um, I mean, do you do you have to lay some some blame at the feet? Look, I think every great manager has to have a market that they mine effectively, right? A market of talent. Um, you know, maybe that's Klopp bringing players from Dortmund with him, or understanding the German market, or you know, maybe it's. It's Conte knowing Italy or, you know, whatever market he knows. You know, again, I'm, I'm making this up as I go. It was no, also back with France. But, but 
does Arsene Wenger have to take some criticism for the fact that there is a golden generation of young French talent and the guy he got from that generation was Yaya Sanogo? I mean, as, as much as we all love, love Yaya, I mean, does, does, he, does he own some responsibility for Huge the fact that... bastard. I love Yaya. Yeah. I love him. But does he yeah, own some responsibility uh, yeah, yeah. for that? I mean, Martial and he Lamar does. and Mbappe and, you know, we can go on and on and on and Kondogby and all these guys. He, he didn't get any of them. Yeah, he really didn't. And let's feel, and I think that's a massive failing on his behalf. But hold on a minute. He's got a French scout called Gilles Grimondi, and he's still in his job last time I looked. Right? So what's he looking well, at? That, that, I mean, the buck stops here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this, this is all, it all funnels up to Arson. It all bubbles up to him. Absolutely. I'm not, he's not beyond criticism, right? So we all know we've, we've missed out on players. We would never have missed out on historically but we've changed we have kept players longer we have trusted players longer i feel we've been a bit lazy on on year on year waiting for certain people to break through we've got many players on six seven eight nine ten eleven years theo that have been here a long time trousering a lot of money and, and they're still here <laughs> yeah and don't yes, forget that scoring a lot of goals. Yeah, but, but never but, hit, never hitting uh, the heights that maybe that maybe we exactly. hope. Exactly. Look, I, I think, not, I'm not calling them failures. I'm just saying we all have expectations that we want to compete a little bit more. We want to be a bit closer to the top. We don't demand winning. We just we just demand a bit of progression. That's all. That's all I demand he, he, anyway. Yeah, and and uh, you raise an interesting point, Clive, which is that Arson had his guys, his young guys. You know, the Oxley Chamberlain and uh, was certainly one of them, and. Jack Wilshire, and you know he had his guys that maybe yep. he really wanted to see make the leap, so to speak, and intentionally maybe eschewed the the younger market in the interest of trying to give those younger players room that he that he was banking on. And obviously, we've seen where that's led. So, Tim, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it over to you on this one. I we have we have a really bad profile from sort of an age standpoint and from a recruitment standpoint. And obviously, it's all going to come to a head this upcoming summer. I mean, just quickly, first from you, do you think that's been the big miss that we that we didn't go find, or I, I, I say try to find? Who knows what we tried to do? But is that the miss that we didn't go after those big known talents in the eighteen to twenty twenty one bracket and try to develop them? Especially because look, if you pay twenty million for them and they don't pan out, the way the market has evolved. They're probably still worth at minimum twenty million as they're coming to the end of their contract. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think um, uh, so. To introduce um, a, a theme, the listeners will probably be well attuned to by now. Uh, something I've written about a little bit this week. So, so I think what what happened um, <clears throat> after we bought Urzil and Alexis, we kind of stumbled upon, probably by serendipity, this kind of ah, why why don't we um, every summer wait for like you know like we we kind of understood our place in the natural order of things so it's, why don't we wait for real madrid Bayern, barcelona and whoever to do all their buying and then go and shake the tree and see who drops out and that worked for us for a couple of summers but to go back to clive's point about hoarding um the problem was those three teams basically bought up all of the best attacking talent in europe yeah and then they didn't need to buy anyone for three years so Real Madrid were like, yeah, we've got Benzema, Bale and Ronaldo. We're pretty happy. We don't, you know, we don't really need to go out and buy another £100 million forward. 
um, you know, they even passed up on the whole Pogba thing. They were just like, no, we're, you know, we're not interested in that. Barcelona had Neymar, Suarez and Messi. They didn't need to buy anybody. Um, and in fact, they were spending so much on their salaries, they had to cut back in other areas. And then Bayern had something similar, you know, Bayern were a couple of years ago, they had a whole team in its prime. So they didn't have to go out and do any massive buying. So we kind of came to this, I think we stumbled upon this. Yeah, let's just, um, you know, maybe wait to the end of the transfer window and see what drops out of those clubs. And the answer was nothing was dropping out of those clubs. And um you know, the, the, the third summer after, so he got Ozil, he got Alexis. The summer after, he chased Benzema. Um, and, you know, this is a French talent. And again, uh, to kind of plug back into the actual conversation, maybe Benzema is someone that really, really should have been on our radar close to a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but he tried to buy, you know, mid to late 20s ready-made Benzema, which, you know, which was kind of... Um, what we all hoped would happen for Arsenal, that, that we'd be able to buy straight off the shelf. It's just um, weird that we, we went to exclusively it. buying straight off the shelf, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if we lost our way a bit or if we got a bit excited. But, you know, Arsenal did say about a year ago, he made this point about some French players. You know, he, he said, like, I knew about Kanté, I knew about Griezmann. Is how many times, you know, he won't shut up about how many times he's spoken to Mbappe, um, you know, and, and that feels like him saying, hey, yeah, I still knew about these guys. I just, I just couldn't get them. Um, and, you know, you're saying stuff about scouting and, and stuff like that. He, he seemed to be hinting that he knew about these players, but um, someone somewhere let him down. Is and, it possible uh, though, that the reason he couldn't get them is in his mind, you don't pay 25 or 30 million for a young yeah. Uh, prospect that the way Maybe. you buy young prospects is you pay a couple million at most and you develop them and I mean that's just not the way it works anymore and did we did yeah. we misread the money market I mean we left the cash in yeah. the bank thinking that that cash would become our our power in the market the cash devalued because of Brexit and because of the inflation in the market and the TV deal coming into the Premier League which made English teams a mark for sellers combined with the fact that had we bought assets with that cash, the assets could have then generated more cash through sales yeah. than the cash in the bank did. Yeah, definitely. We, we've certainly been blindsided blindsided by that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, that's, that's a very, very kind of valid criticism. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the kind of irony is... Um, and again, this this is kind of alluding to a theme I've written about this week. Arsenal have kind of come full circle, almost back to Project Youth. So Project Youth, you know, who who were the two poster boys of Project Youth? Van Persie and Fabregas. They both left in their prime, and that's that's what we're getting now. And because we're now in a stage where we've dropped into the Europa League, we've got star players leaving on free transfers, and. Um, we've got the Puma and Emirates deals coming up at the end of the season. Arguably, getting into, we're back to where we were 10 years ago, where getting into the top four is absolutely critical again because we're back to the stage of we need that to hook the star players. We need that to get the value that we need to get mm -hmm. from our, our key commercial deals. And it, it kind of feels like we've, we've gone round in a, in a big circle 
where you know our two star players are about to leave and we absolutely must at the expense of everything else get back in the top four so when Arson says you know oh it's not as important nowadays um, well it, maybe he's right generally but for Arsenal because of the situation we are now in it's to me it's as important as ever it's more um, important you know, it's more important it, because of the Premier yeah. League rules related to wages the best way for you to build your squad is to add revenue not through the TV deal and you can only pull yeah. in the same amount of revenue every year from ticket sales unless you raise them dramatically so the best way to improve your revenue is your commercial deals that's what yeah. unlocks your ability to add talent to your squad yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's exactly where we're kind of coming up short. And, and because we've not been smart with our selling of players, which actually, you know, even back in the day, right at the beginning of Arsenal's reign, when we were losing, you know, our star players fairly regularly, we were getting paid for them and replacing them. And now we've kind of, we, we've used the fact that we've got a bit more money nowadays, but actually what we've, what, what we've basically landed ourselves in is a situation where we've got to replace our entire spine in one go. And all of the players in that spine, uh, we're not getting a penny for any of them. And we're, we're going to look to do that on the back of a Europa League campaign, um, replacing them all in a World Cup year. I mean, it... It could be a big, big iceberg. Um, and aside from know, that, Mrs. Really, Lincoln, what do you think of the play? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's. This is, this is, you know, such a crucial year. This could be a real crossroads year because I think we're looking at if we don't get in the top four, I think we're looking at what Liverpool have gone through. Um, at least a bit, a bit of a bit of post Ferguson Man United as well, but they've just had the money to spend their way back in. Tim and there's um, there's another there's another bad fact, which is all of this recruitment and all this negotiation and all this work that has to be done is done with a guy at the helm who one year later is gone himself. Yeah. So exactly. how do you create any continuity or forward planning when the person in charge of doing that can't even look the new players or the new any of these these new partners in the eye and saying here's my vision for where we'll be because he won't be there presumably yeah yeah i mean basically to cut a long story short it all comes back to the fact we were primed for a new manager um this year yeah. <laughs> we, we we massively missed the boat but there you go That's... and had a lot of business to do that we didn't do and look i mean here's the problem when we were negotiating our last round of commercial deals Arsenal was still identified as the Invincibles. We still had players like Van Persie and Cesc Fabregas, and we were still remembered for players like Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp. And there were partners, commercial partners, that were willing to maybe experience a little bit of a downturn at that time, too, understanding that the Emirates move might be a setback, but long-term they were investing in a, in a brand that was going to be at the top of world football. Today you're negotiating with, potentially, Europa League football, your star players are Aaron Ramsey and Lacazette, and nobody cares or remembers the Invincibles anymore. You know, from a, if you're a brand investing, obviously we all do, but you know it, that's not how brands think. So it's going to be really sorry, tough. Just yeah, just just to add really really quickly, bolt on one more thing there. We can't keep pointing to the stadium anymore. That's eleven years ago. Yeah, and now Tottenham are about to get a new one. Chelsea are about to get a new one. So that's you know Ivan Gazidis in particular is fond of saying how brave we were to move to this new stadium. It had nothing to do with him. It's over a decade ago now. Yeah, and and there there are clubs doing it arguably in in an even more intelligent way than we did. Um, I think you combine that with the investment going into clubs like. Everton, who obviously haven't gotten it right now, but certainly have the ability to potentially get it right. And 
it, it, it looks very problematic for us to get those commercial deals. Because for those people listening, I, I am not a finance expert and I am not an expert on the Premier League salary rules. But the way they work essentially is you can only increase your wages, the wages you pay to your players, a certain amount every year. And it's related to your turnover, um, to, to your turnover not from the TV deal, right? I mean, I, have I summarized that pretty much accurately? Uh, that the yeah. amount you yeah. can increase your... So that's why Manchester United can buy whoever the hell they want because the commercial deals are so outrageous that they they have that turnover to, to justify the increase in their wages. Our commercial deals are going to determine whether we can make incremental increases in our wages every year or whether we can make... Uh, material increases every year. And obviously, we need to make material increases to recruit new players. Now, obviously, with Ozone Alexis coming off the books, that'll free up a lot, but you're going to have to pay more to the next round of stars you want to go out and get. And so, Paul, I, I think as as uplifting as all this is and as exciting as it all, all it is, it, it all is, paint me a picture now of how you fix this between January and this summer. What moves can be made and would you make and are realistic to make to position Arsenal to not do what Tim was talking about, which is drift into where Liverpool spent a decade or where United have spent their time since uh, Ferguson left. Like, what what moves could be made, in your opinion, to potentially keep the ship pointed in the right direction? Fuck, I don't know. You guys, are, I'm lying on the floor here, clasping me chest after that. Oh, well, uh, here's, and, here's a fair question. You, are there yeah, moves yeah. that can be made, no, or do you on. have to swallow? Hang on. Okay. Yep. hang on, Elliot. Hang on, Elliot. Bear with me. I'm, I'm sticking so, it out. Uh, I got so low, it reminded me I had this really weird dream last night with me and Tim. Like, hello. Tim was doing... Hello. So, Tim... <laughs> Tim was doing like the Brazil thing last night and the South America thing on Twitter. And we had a couple of tweets back and forth. I sensed there was a little bit of unresolved tension. I think I took that into this dream I had. I had one of those crystal clear dreams. And uh, Tim and I were living together, kind of. not really sure what. I mean, there was nothing going on. And it was like, it was a really nice place. It was like metal glass tile very very modern deb's was in the picture somewhere in the background but not really a factor we had a dog i don't know whether it was his dog or my dog and somehow we came up with this plan that for the sake of the dog i should stab him with like a roman short store a sword the ones they use in close combat you know the the scabbarded stab me or the dog you okay that's fine now you were okay with this plan i don't yeah i I might have been more planned my plan than yours so but I didn't do like what the Romans tell you to do which is to twist your hand when you put the sword in to kind of like uh, churn the guts so after about an hour or two you started to recover which was a bit embarrassing all round and then we discussed whether we should get an ambulance or not I mean the obvious the answer was pretty obvious after we brought up the topic and we got in uh, an ambulance and we saved him. Can I, can I come back in now? <laughs> sure. Um, that, That's all that, true. I mean, it's can, not a very can, good dream. Can Arsenal so sure pull that off? 
<laughs> well, uh, is is the ambulance Lamar? Like, help me here. Give me something. Like, is the as knife as long as as long as the dog remains unharmed, I'm fine. Well, I, I think if the dog is an Alexis, I think the dog is not going to remain unharmed, and and the, and the knife is Ozil being stuck into Arsenal, but. But then being withdrawn, and then the ambulance is. Elliot, don't distract us from the main point here. So I think what you got to do is make a move during the January window, make a move April, May time. Get somebody in there. There's two. Uh, have your next guy lined up right for the start of the summer. Now you got three. Get so, get some players re-signed. Do you um, do you have Clive, to get- do you have to yep. get someone in January just, you know, maybe even someone big like Lamar, even if that means selling an Ozone or Lexus, just so that you can look someone like Aaron Ramsey in the face, assuming you want to keep him and say, see, we're not just going to let this whole thing fall apart, sign a new uh, deal. I think it's too hard to do the big deal unless it falls into your lap. I mean, if Monaco are doing shit and they want to capitalize on some cash, great. So if we unless- don't do some big deals, at least by the beginning of the summer, Good luck trying to convince you know guys like Ramsey to stick around. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, really, if you've got to have a big deal by the start of the summer to get Ramsey, um, or does I, Ramsey get the Theo Walcott treatment, where then it's uh, here's three hundred grand, please stay, because he just happens to have his contract negotiation come up at a time when we have no leverage. I think Ramsey stays if he buys into the vi- vision. And if he thinks he's going to be major and central to it, like our future captain. And I think if he does, if he, I don't think one player does it for him. I don't think we'll have, I don't think we could buy that player at the start of the summer. It's just too hard. We've never just, unless it falls into our lap. So great if you can do it. But I think what you do is you just got to move well and quickly on the kinds of players we can get signed up. And done good players like your Chakas, Kalasinaches, etc., as we've been through before. Um, and then, you know, Clive and Tim kind of touched on a significant point, which is our scouting. And the, I don't know if we all saw that report. I don't know if it was in the Telegraph, but it was something pretty reputable talking about how we didn't get Kante and that um, uh, what, uh, who's a Gilles Grimandi was the scout and he went to see him various times, kept reporting back that nothing very exciting there. Arson and co kept sending him back because they kept hearing these great things about him. Uh, Grimandi kept coming back saying, no, no takers, Um, you know, no interest here, nothing to see. And so that's a significant piece. I mean, our problems could be solved if we got a recruiting in France and we're quite good at getting those kind of uh, pretty good talents from Germany. We've got, you know, three of them in recent years, all in that same kind of... Uh, in fact, you could add Mertesacker to that. These are all guys we had... Somehow we get Germany deals sorted out in March, April. Um, but France, we got to get sorted. And if Grimandi ain't doing the business, fuck, get, stick all our... Or find two or three more scouts and stop chasing around wherever the hell we're chasing around and... You know, roll the dice on France. The talents there, we have the angles, we have the contacts. What we don't seem to have is the scouting mechanism. It's funny because we, we've been trying, right? I mean, we acquired the stats company, Stats DNA, and you, you look at some of the areas where the club has tried to make improvements. One really notable one that we never talk about is injuries. We had this horrible injury track record for a while, and we replaced the medical staff. And I think all of us would agree, for the most we're part, better. we're a lot better. We don't. We're not constantly losing players to calves and quads and hamstrings and groins 
every every game. I mean, at least not at Arsenal. You know, we lost Mustafi on, on international duty. Um, Clive, how worried are you about the fact oh. that we have to do all of this work, that we have to rebuild really the spine of the team, that we have to reshape the team, and the person who's going to decide who these new recruits are and who's going to get the big new contracts is, is a guy who won't be there to helm that project as it starts to take shape. I mean, how do you... How do you put the future of the club in the hands of someone whose own future is not at the club? Well, firstly, you're making a big assumption that he won't be there. Right. Well, so, um, right. No, sorry. I'm talking about seven years from now when we're in the same situation. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, this is a. We, we got. Obviously, Tim's really explained it really well where we are. I spoke uh, on, on another podcast many, many years ago about renewal, and I could see this coming. I, I could see that we were hitting a point where. We were keeping people. You, I you thought couldn't we were shoot doing Arson a, an email. Would it, would, would it no, kill you to make a, a call? Oh, <laughs> I've often said we've been doing a lap of honour in a diamond club, congratulating ourselves on the new revenue from 2014, and we just signed on our players again. We just signed them on British Core. We just signed them on. It was just easy. It was easy. We could sustain the top four. It was no problem. The top four's become a top six, and now you have to. Now we have to hold on to our phony baloney jobs. We've got to really earn our money. And so we talk about Jules Kimondi. Okay, he did have three mentions tonight, right? But but yeah, he's still in the job, right? He's still in the job. Um, so I think the competition crept up on us. We heard me talk about our competitive landscape. You need to keep an eye on it, and we didn't. And now we have to work. And now we have to work in a in a disadvantaged way because our, our I would say our friend we've got two franchise players and they're both with seven months ago in their contract whatever it is, and you know we talk about Aaron Ramsey. Suddenly Aaron Ramsey is a great shout. Is popped up to be like the Theo Walcott. The timing of his contract is perfect. Danny Welbeck suddenly turned into a superstar because we know that we need those players. But ask ask yourself honestly. Are they the franchise players to take us forward? I'm not sure. I am not sure. That's not the level that's going to lead the club to the, to get us to the next level. <coughs> Excuse me. They are good players, but they are not franchise players. Ursula and Sancho are franchise players, and we need to find a way to replace them. So for me, the best deal we could possibly get is a swap at PSG for somewhere for like a, a Draxa type player or because they're, they're overloaded it's going to one of those bigger clubs and saying okay if you want him early can we have a bit of somebody else and that's really significant I think there's a big market for Alexis there are many teams that really want to win big trophies next year they're prepared to, they're prepared to pay a little bit less or trade with us to get him ahead of other people who are waiting for him on a free so I'm hoping after developing the market for him, and at least we're going to get something back. If we get something back in the 23, 24-year-old age range, we have the start of something. Um, what if we're sitting you, you know, fourth, three points above Chelsea and Liverpool? I mean, it makes no difference to you? It, it doesn't. Honestly, it doesn't. Because we're in a situation where you have to look at the bigger picture and say, okay, we have left ourselves bereft. We have left ourselves with no leverage. So we have to try to create leverage. We have to try to create a market. We have to try to 
to get something back for the assets that we have. We've got too many reaching reaching this point where we can, we're going to lose that leverage. The moment to move the major was definitely last summer. The contract situation dictated it. For some reason, somewhere in the club got cold feet. We should have done it then. Some of the players don't believe in the project going forward, so no one signed, or we haven't asked them to sign. So the situation is now, we are in a situation where we have to create that leverage. If we get something back, great. We're in a situation where we have no choice. The ages of our key pillar players say we have to rebuild. There is no point about what the league is saying because there's next year and there's a year after and there's a year after that. If we don't bite the bullet now, we're in a three, four year cycle of pain. And that means commercially we are going to be in a much worse situation. Everyone around our our near neighbours will will settle into their new ground. They will take our place in the marketplace. No problem at all. Not one of us is sitting here saying that Tottenham are worse than us. We're all sort of quietly accepting that they are progressing and moving forward. When their shiny stadium comes, that's going to go again. The academy is already way ahead of ours. England are now training at their training ground, not the Arsenal training ground. That's just happening all around us. Right? So we have to react to that. And, um, and I'm hoping that something and somebody at the club will wake up and say... This is what's happening to you. What are you going to do? And regardless of a couple of points here and a couple of points there, we need to start the process of really rebuilding the player pool, rebuilding that talent and getting the age right. And regardless of where we are, and then we have to make sure this Champions League gap lasts no longer than two years maximum. If we fudge it and try to limp through and we don't get it right, then this could be a three, four-year pain cycle, on, and, that, and that's my concern. Yeah, and I think what you, <laughs> what you're hitting on there is really just making the point for me that the problem is the manager, and and not to end this by hammering him, but the club needs to move forward, and it needs to move forward from everything it's done before and start doing things in a different way and modernize and update itself and go through a cycle of renewal. It needs a new manager. It needs a director of football. It needs new positions in place in the scouting department. The academy has to be retooled again, um, unfortunately, because we've decided to give up on the, the project that we were undertaking with the academy. And that all runs through Arson, and Arson will block any change in any of those areas until he is gone as well. So... I th- can yep. I say one more thing, Elliot? I, I suppose, suppose, yeah, why not? On, on, top of, on top of all of that, what we really need is new messages from the very top, right? What we need is messages from from our owner to say what we, what we stand luck. for. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, look, and, and, and I want a pony for I, Christmas, but, but, but you know, but, but it would that, die in the, but, in the cold winters here. But that's absolutely, I'm really saying, I'm, I suppose it's obvious about the manager. It's almost like none of us are mentioning it because... We're not, we don't want to insult the listener's intelligence, right? But really what we can say is that the manager is only a product of the environment that he's allowed to work in. And that's set by the owner. And he makes sure he's got a strong relationship with the owner and sod everybody else. He doesn't care about anybody else because the owner will not sack him. And that's what needs to change. That person needs to change or his ambition needs to change. And then once that starts to trickle down, then everything else we desire will start to, will start to happen. Look, on the bright side, Ivan Gazidis got a huge bonus, so he's going to be all right. Um, and, I, you know, we don't have to worry about him and his well-being. The funny thing is, there's going to be a lot of change at the U.S. men's national team, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if Gazidis gets a call for that. So things may start to change, not by our own making. Um, Tim, uh, real quick, it's Watford at the weekend. It's Watford away. It's not an easy fixture by any means, but it's one that we'll be looking to uh, keep the momentum going. I suppose you would say 
if you had to guess, do you think we will see Ozone Alexis on the pitch together this time? Uh, no, I think I, I still think he might leave Ozil on the bench. Um, although I think there may be a decent case for leaving Alexis because of you know he played in Sao Paulo the early hours of Wednesday morning and obviously had a very very disappointing night. Um, we all know how much playing for Chile means to him. So did my and, wife, by the you know, way. Very disappointing. Right? <laughs> and we all know how much playing Chile, for Chile means to him and missing a World Cup in his prime. Um, you know, that's going to sting. And I, I have to say, I haven't been worried about the whole this is Alexis's last year thing. I've never been worried about that. Um, but I am a little bit worried about what this might what what this might do for him mentally. But then again, I... I tend to think he's probably the kind of person who's not really capable of of um of moping and you know he's always I, a bit demonstrative i would say on the bright side anyway, tim so. you could say he doesn't have anything to save himself for come april and may if yeah. we're still in the europa league and we're chasing top four you know it's not like he's going to be thinking don't pull a hamstring because of russia he yeah. might be thinking club you know club success is really all i'm playing for at this point and shop window yeah. so yeah 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 exactly but whether um we involve whether we play him from the start uh, against Watford I, I'm not sure I don't think we'll see them both together no um, and I tend to think it will be Ozil who will be on the bench so you think it's a Wobie who comes right back in yes yes I do fresh off getting he, and, them in and, the yeah World exactly Cup. he he had the opposite experience to Alexis Sanchez and you know he came back a little bit earlier as well I think he was um, that that was last weekend so he's, yeah. he's been back like yep. since early this week so yeah I, I expect to see him start interesting Paul Projection, prediction, guess. What's the score? Uh, uh, well, I I would strongly recommend that he plays neither of them. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. Why? Well, you know, we we still have them on the books, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think Alexis is going to be. Uh, I mean, if you there's no way Pep would play Alexis after that game. I'm just not a fan. The guy's of guessing what the emo- well knackered. Yeah, that that's a possibility. And depressed. Although he did that. only have one game, he right? He he only played one game over the international. Yeah, he played both. Did he? Yeah. Oh, son of a bitch. All right. Yeah. Okay. Why, why, so, and why, why not Ozil? And then uh, Ozil's a candidate. Um, if he, if he's really deemed fully fit, yeah, this is probably the game you'd bring him back in. So if you don't play but, either of them, who 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 be and who? Uh, well, that's that's the better question. Then what? Awobi and Ramsey with El Nenny and Shaka? Or so I mean, nah, nah. Okay, yeah, you're probably going to play Ozil in this or Alexis. Um, uh, not Alexis. Okay. I would definitely. Well, rest it, Alexis. all right. So when when we trot out Awobi and and Ramsey and El Nenny and Shaka uh, and and Holding and you're starting to really get me excited for this game. What what's the score going to be? Um, two one. To us, uh, us is Arsenal. Yeah, sweet. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Clive, predictions, predictions, guesses. Yeah, Fortune I think. Um, yeah, I think you will be all playing with Alexis and Lacazette out front. It'll be um, you know Kalasinic, uh, Shaka, Ramsey, Bellerin, Holding, Koscielny, Monreal, Czech. You go with that. Uh, I think we're going to need we're going to need the best the best eleven that we can possibly have. I do like Iwobi in this game. I think he's quite physical. I think we're going to need that physicality. We're going to need that running power to discourage them from thinking we're vulnerable. I don't want to see us on the pitch. I think he will 
make us look vulnerable physically and I think you need to match them first and I see it's winning by the odd goal but it's, I think it's time for Alexis to um, shape up or ship out right so I don't care about his issues in the week he's been he shaping is, up uh, to be fair yeah he's, he's getting he's coming back to shape right and, great. Um, and if it, this time last year he played that game we would all we all know he would have come back off the plane straight onto the pitch Let's see where his head's at, and hopefully he can come back and start. He's going to want to play. He's going to beg Arson to let him play. I think we all know that. Um, so yeah, when yeah. you say we're going to win by the odd goal, just out of curiosity, do you mean like a, a goal or that the goal itself will be odd, like like the ones that uh, Aspina concedes? I think it could be like a 3-2. A 3-2. Three, um, when I say Alexis shape up, I mean shape up and, and join the team. Got play it. play with the team. Not play well. We all know he's a great player, but play within the team framework. That's what I'm really hoping to see. If he does that and, and just slows down some of the individualistic stuff that makes him, but also allows some criticism, if you can just dial that back a bit, join the team. Uh, that's what I'm really looking for this weekend. I got to tell you, um, after everything I've seen in football, I have no reason to doubt that we will get a 4-1 victory at Watford. So that's... um. You can put that in the books. I would go to whatever gambling site you use, wager a lot of money on that, tell them that was Tim's decision. Um, Tim is on Twitter, at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure, as always. As always, it was. Paul is on Twitter, at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Pause. So I forgot to say that Tim tweeted this picture of a Brazilian <laughs> dude French kissing this other Brazilian dude yesterday <laughs> evening, and I strongly suspect it bothered me. It, it shouldn't. It's but why, it did. why did it bother you? I don't. Do you know. want to talk about it? No, I retweeted it just now, so okay. you can find it. If you want right. to go and well, look everybody at can look at it and decide if, if it's upsetting in some way, or if Paul just needs it to work was. through his his uh, homophobic issues. Um, so, as we mentioned, Paul's on Twitter at pausing in my pants, and thanks, mm. pause. Uh, Clive is on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Uh, the P stands for. Uh, uh, Passable insight yes. into the arsenal. Uh, Clive, thank you very much. My pleasure, thanks. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner, give us a five-star review and write nasty things about, I don't know, someone. Let's call him Ralph. Write nasty things about Ralph in the comments section because Ralph is a son of a bitch and he deserves it. In any event, up the arsenal 4-1 victory. Remember, you heard it here first. We'll come back after Watford to discuss the loss. Cheers. Cheers.